the, the longer I'm alive, the more I've realized the importance for me anyways of wanting to live a life like a great book. That it would be comfortable to be, you know, he, he was born and he was healthy and he was happy all the way to the end and then he died happy. And this might be a really nice experience for some, but I think I want that. And then in the few times I've had it, I've realized I didn't get to quite surprise myself in the way that some nice and the way that life can do. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life, in your own way. everyone. Today on the podcast, I've brought you Tony Testa. He's a very famous and very well-respected choreographer, director, and producer in the dance industry. He's been working as a choreographer and working within dance since the age of 18. He's had a very successful career and what I love most about Tony is his all-consuming passion for dance as not only a movement medium, but a form of expression and an art. And we got to talk about a lot of interesting things in context of his relationship to movement, mostly through dance. And one of my favorites was his discussion on the importance of learning structure and rules in order to break them and how that plays an important role in creating art. We talked a lot about the scalability of movement from a micro level to a macro level. And we also got to dig really deep into some of the elements around facing what feel like extreme challenges in the moment and what happens when you actually decide to rise up and meet those challenges head on. So you guys go ahead and sit back, relax and tune in to this episode of this thing called movement. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Tony Testa. 
Well, thank you, Marie. I mean, I'm fortunate to be in communion with the wonderful art form of dance, and it is my my passion, my exercise, my art form and practice, my discipline, and something fun for me to do. This conversation is pretty appropriate for the for the vocation that I've chosen. <laughs> it definitely is. So, uh, why don't you begin by? Describing your movement journey over the course of your lifetime. Well, when I hear the words movement journey, I mean, a couple of things come to mind. You know, I can think on a grand scale in terms of the largest pick up and leave move I made from Colorado to Los Angeles, as you were saying earlier. For me, one of the interesting things about the small scale version, the, the dance and choreography element of movement, is the reflection. And what I mean by that is I started by I, well, I started getting into choreography because I really enjoyed that creative ex- exploration with the body and with movement. And how I started to develop my own taste was I'd go into a little dance studio that I was teaching at in, in Fort Collins, Colorado, where I grew up. Mom's little video camera up on a chair, and I'd videotape myself into the mirror doing some of the choreography that I'd made up. And I would finish, stop, look at the tape watch what I did, and then I'd, I'd correct myself. I'd look at the things I didn't like so much, and I'd make notes on myself. And I would do this process over and over and over until I started to really develop a sense of what I thought was good and what, I, what, I, uh, what felt really good to me, what seemed like it was a part of my own style. I was starting to cultivate my taste and, and really understand myself and my own sensibilities as an artist. And this came from really reflecting back, looking back at what I was doing, and interestingly enough, technology and the video camera, to be specific, played a big role in that. So ever since that happened, and I was making up my little dance pieces for myself in a studio in Colorado, I've still taken that same concept with me out to Los Angeles and in my continued experiments with dance and that idea of moving in the moment in a way that feels good and then taking a look at what it's been done and assessing it from outside eyes in order to check back to see how if I was still moving in the direction that I wanted to move. Mm. So um, one thing that really jumps out to me there, Tony, is what you said a couple of times about, you know, honing in to moving in a way that feels good and how that was actually a big part of your process in developing your own unique movement sensibilities and your artistry. So if you could expand that a little bit, I know that may be a little difficult, but but what were what were some of the components that came in to reinforce something that felt good versus not feeling good? Are you aware of some of those elements that are at play there? Sometimes. Sometimes I'm aware. <laughs> You're always one is always looking for that kind of, okay, this is the reaction. I hope you know which way to go next. And sometimes it's clear and sometimes it's not so clear. And it's the idea that we leap. Now, when, when we're not sure where to go, one trajectory of movement feels like it's kind of ambiguous. We're not sure if it's the right direction. Then you leap. You mm-hmm. leap in whatever direction might be good. You just take a shot. And if you don't like where you land, you just leap again. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the way forward feels good and sometimes you don't know. So you just got to kind of take a stab in the dark and chalk it up to experience. Yeah. So you were working a lot on your own 
uh, in this studio in Fort Collins. And then what what actually led you out to L.A.? Was it simply wanting to produce um, or like be in the epicenter of dance out there? Or was it something else? From pretty early on, I thought it was so amazing how dance was highlighted in the world of this kind of glitzy pop world. And uh, I remember going to my very first concert. It was for Janet Jackson. I saw all these dancers, and they looked like they were just having so much fun up there. Mm. And I've never really had a desire for fame for myself. And I thought that might seem like a really interesting way to be a part of something that seemed like a great big party and was great fun and they were these skill up there, but yet they weren't, um, they were in them, they were like 10 feet off of the limelight. You know, they were a couple steps back. And I thought this was really interesting. And I started to follow different choreographers who were making these dances for recording singers. And this is kind of what really intrigued me in the beginning. It just seemed like everybody was having a good time. In my eyes, they were grown ups, but they were having fun and and this really spoke to me. It, it seemed different than, you know, what I perceived to be like what a grown-up life is. You know, you get a job and you go to your desk and you, you, you know, you, you work to make money. And I don't have any qualms with any of that. I think that's fantastic. It's great if it's, if it's your direction. But for me, it, it wasn't my direction. So to see that kind of gave me some charm to move in that direction. Mm. Go towards the play and towards the artistry and, and that at the time kind of spoke to me. So it was interesting that going to that concert was the very first time that I got really inspired to want to work out here in Los Angeles, the epicenter of commercial dance. And my very first job was indeed for Miss Jackson, if you ask me. So it kind of all worked out in some random, weird, wonderful way that I would see that concert and then I would end up kickstarting things off by getting to choreograph for her. Well, and what was the time frame between the two, between seeing that concert and being so inspired by that and, and excited about that possibility? And then, and then how much later was it when you were actually hired by her? Because you were hired by her when you were, what, 18, maybe 19 years old? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was in English class in my senior year of high school when I got the call, actually. So I was 18. And... Uh, I think I'd probably seen the concert. I don't know. I might have been 11, 12. Oh, wow. Somewhere in there. It was pretty young. It was pretty young. But my mom, she used to teach dance. So that's kind of how I got into it. That's kind of how I got started. I would assist her classes that she would teach. It. And that's how I got into choreography. When she retired, I took over her classes. And thus, it was my now, it was my, my new job to, to come up with choreography for the students. Mm. So since then you moved out to Los Angeles, you're working with Janet Jackson and what has sort of happened along the way since is in terms of movement, are you still working with dance exclusively or what other elements of movement have been coming into your life in the last decade or so? Well, when I was first getting going, I, I thought that dance was really categorizable. You do hip-hop, or you do tap, or you do contemporary, or you do ballet. And these things all kind of existed, and they were all separate from one another. And they kind of, you know, they had their own place. And the longer that I practiced the act of choreography, 
the more I enjoyed mixing and matching things, taking timing that I'd learned from tap, incorporating that with movement that felt good from contemporary dance and hip-hop, I'd smash that up together, stick it in the microwave and put it to, you know, swing music. So I really enjoyed the act of kind of pulling apart my traditional uh, boundaries and then jumping some fences with the art. That became really fun for me. And still to this day, this is where I enjoy my, my exploration the most is, is allowing myself not to get too stuck in, well, hip hop is this, ballet is this. Mm -hmm. My roots are in that. So I understand the importance of understanding the rules. But now I'm enjoying betting. Mm. Well, like, as the saying goes, you need to know the rules before you can break them. Growing up, it was so crucial that I learned each of those individual styles, you know, ballet for ballet's sake, and jazz for jazz's sake, and really learned the rules of what those styles were. But the older I got, the more I understood and believed for myself that art doesn't really play by rules. Humans can give them you know, put rules on them and say, this is what that is and that is what this is. But at the end of the day, that's the great thing about art is, you know, you can't, you can't stick it in a book and say, well, this is it. Hmm. So you have to really learn those rules before you can break them. But it's been such a wonderful gift and quite a bit of fun, actually, now to just break down the boundaries of the art forms and smash them all up together and, and play. Yeah, it's one of my most fascinating kind of dichotomies to play with is the idea of structure versus chaos and how I just love watching how often uh, people tend to kind of regulate themselves more on one end versus another and I'm talking about kind of the general population here uh, not just dancers but kind of everybody involved in their bodies how there seems to be a real a real dependence on structure. And I think structure is really beneficial as a starting point. Like you said, it's a foundation, but there comes a certain point where that willingness to break it apart, to go into a little bit more chaos and unpredictability is actually a really important way to inform the structure on a deeper level. And I'm curious if you've kind of found a deeper meaning in even some of the more specific forms of dance you grew up with, or if you have a new appreciation for them as a result of your work as a choreographer and actually bending those rules and breaking those rules through the art form. Oh, man. Do I have a new appreciation for them? I don't know if it's a new appreciation for them, but I certainly maintain an appreciation for them. I think mm -hmm. that learning those foundational styles, not only was I learning jazz and ballet, but I was learning discipline. I was learning hard work. I was learning mental toughness. I was learning all these great qualities that can be really applied to so much in life and dance was the vehicle. So I continue to have an appreciation for all the things that they taught me, you know, flexibility, strength, body awareness, balance, musicality, mm. uh, joy. You know, I, I learned so many valuable lessons from the structures of those of those dances. So yeah, my 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 appreciation continues. If that answers your question. 
Oh, yeah. Well, and I love how you tied that into uh, the more, I think, interdisciplinary components that dance was able to offer you or that structure was able to offer you that's really applicable in any arena in life we are experiencing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been my experience, so but I felt like it's weak to but so far, uh, the machine hasn't fallen apart yet, so <laughs> something's going right. Uh, true that. Uh, so I'll go ahead and steer us into the next question. What does movement mean to you, and how would you define it? Well, I would say that this is a really hard question, by the way. It is. It's like, meant like to be. Like a little bit brutally, a little brutally hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, 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 my first instinct is to say that movement is moving from point A. And this is kind of a big metaphorical way of thinking of it, but the idea that, you know, in life we go from point A to B, whatever that means for you, right? Mm-hmm. You go from the house to work, you know, you move your body from down to standing up. But I, I, uh, I think that actually movement is, the, is just the departure from point A. Yeah. Really, rather than going from point A to B, maybe it's just going to A. It's exiting the initial <laughs> place. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think so. And as big as the question is, I think the answer is deserves to be equally big. And I think that leaves it pretty open-ended. Hmm. Movement is going from A. That's probably one of the deeper answers I've heard. <laughs> uh, which I really... Yeah, I- well, I just, I just pulled that out of somewhere. So, I don't know, take it for what it's worth, but what do I know? Well, I think I think that's actually the potency of having such a difficult question because I know it's a difficult one and I've asked it to a lot of people and and it's funny because we want to try and define something so big that's so overreaching and and literally stretches arms into every arena of our lives. And we want to be able to package it really nicely. We want to we want to have something that feels comfortable. And what I love about you said what what you said is actually there isn't really a whole lot of comfort. It's it's kind of pointing to the fact that movement in itself is is actually fairly ambiguous. It's fairly unknown. We have a handle on parts of it, but it's so much bigger than us in so many ways, uh, and and even in bigger ways than we can even really begin to understand. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you think about all the different ways. I mean, and if you want to look at it on a macro level, truly, I think it's really the only thing that's ever going on, really, because I do believe evolution is movement. Mm-hmm. And I do, on a deep, intuitive level believe that evolution is really the only thing that's ever going on in all different sizes and levels of what's happening here our experience on earth and that requires movement yeah i i love looking at things for the macro even in context of movement when you just look 
at the similarities between, you know, atoms and then the cosmos and galaxies and how both of these are systems that are moving and they are such mirrors of one another and one is so infinitesimally small and the other is so massively expanded or then you can even look at patterns of consciousness and thought waves uh, flowing through the brain and you look at how the 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 galaxies and the different universes are all mapped up out in outer space and those have similarities too so and these are all things that engage with movement. There is not a single part of life that is not engaging with movement in some way. I'll buy that. <laughs> uh, so I actually am kind of curious in, in your experience as somebody who works with movement all the time and is creating movement in an artistic sense and then also an experiential sense for people. When you're creating pieces and when you're sequencing movements, what do, how do you usually center your intent? And I know that probably changes depending on the project. So if it helps uh, to talk about specific projects where, where you can describe that process. Well, the process of sequencing movements, is that the question? Just choreography and creation in general. Well, for me, the creation process is always kind of parallels itself to a very simple little story. And this story just came to me quite early on. I don't know where, it, where I got it. It's just it seemed like the perfect analogy for the experience I have. So, in the beginning, I start out on this gorgeous mountain top and I can see far the air is crisp and clear I feel like I'm on top of the world and all is right and I look around me and I see this other mountain that's way way off in the distance and it's this and even more interesting looking peak and I just have to go there mm -hmm. so I decide, okay, it's time to go to this new mountain peak, and I begin to descend the one I'm on. Uh, that peak starts to disappear from sight, and I enter a different terrain. I begin to enter the forest, but I'm still moving downhill, so things are relatively pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Then I get to the bottom of the mountain I'm coming down, and now the brush is quite thick. I'm no longer going downhill, and I'm really hoping that I'm walking in the correct direction. Hmm. Then after a bit of that, now there's not even a whole lot of light anymore. The forest is dense. I'm re-walking over my same path. I'm trying to hope that I'm moving in the same, in the same way as, as my original intention. I can't see where I came from, and I can't see where I'm going. I'm solely hiking on blind faith. Then I arrive at something that seems like a mountain, and lo and behold, it is the correct mountain. However, I'm on the wrong side. There's a giant cliff face. You know, I can't keep scaling. So I got to hike all the way around to the correct side of the mountain and begin, the, begin my ascent. So then this is a process of knowing that I'm in the right spot, feeling some relief that I made it, but yet now I have to climb this entire mountain. And the rocks are slippery. I can't get my footing 
I am trying to navigate the best way up and inevitably don't know if I brought the right shoes. So I'm trying to find a way to make it up this thing and I'm falling backwards and I'm gaining ground and I'm trying to stay patient and focused and I get three quarters of the way up and then I slip half the way down and after much trial and error, I finally make it to the top. I get to enjoy the view for a bit, soak up this moment, look back and see where I came from. Feel so grateful for what an amazing novel I just wrote for myself. And then something catches my eye and it's another peak way off in the distance. And there you have it. That's pretty much how I've been operating since I was about, I don't know, 16. I started enjoying the creative journey. Huh. I've actually, I've never heard uh, a process quite described in that way before. And I think this is actually really profound, uh, not only just in the level of a creative process, but really a process to take on any sort of development, whether it is you know, developing your choreographic capacity or developing your technique as a dancer or even developing some sort of consistent physical movement practice when you've sort of not really been an athlete or particularly confident in your body or even somebody trying to embark on a new idea for how their life uh, could be better or different. And I just, I love that imagery. I love, I love the kind of experiential qualities that you're able to describe there because that's really the process of evolution and growth in any area. Yeah, and each time I so badly want it to be easier. <laughs> but in the, in the very few experiences I've had where it is a little easier, I think where I didn't have to work so hard for it. I don't know. I always arrived at that mountaintop. I didn't quite feel the same amount of satisfaction I normally do. Mm. It's like the book wasn't as, it wasn't quite a page turner. Yeah. And I think that the, the longer I'm alive, the more I realize the, the importance for me anyways of wanting to live a life like a great book. That it, that it would be comfortable to be, you know, he, he was born and he was healthy and he was happy all the way to the end and then he died happy. And, you know, this might be a really fun, this might be a really nice experience for some, but I, uh, I think I want that. And then in the few times I've had it, I've realized, ah, this, I didn't get to quite surprise myself in the way that, you know, so nice and the way that life can do. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you correlate this to wanting to live a, li a life like a great book because a lot of times we really connect to the stories in books, right? The hero's journey. And yet we don't really often see what happens on the other side because oftentimes those books are focused on one experience or one m part of someone's life. And it's and life is meant to always be an evolution and a journey. And so even when you attain success, there is always that next journey to embark on. And I really love that this is a perspective you've taken on for your life and your decisions, because I think it, it helps 
uh, disrupts the illusion that, oh, once X, Y, and Z fall into place, or once I achieve that one thing, then I'll be happy. That that process... Yeah, even that happiness is, you know, happiness found in objects or things is only a temporary happiness. Just temporary happiness. You might have a fantastic new car, but it's not going to... It might give you a, a little... a great sense of happiness for a while, but... Well, even experiences, right? Like, I imagine that getting hired by Janet Jackson was like one of the most exciting things that ever happened to you. And then, you know, once it's done, then, then what, right? How long does that excitement from that one experience last? Yeah, it depends. In the business that I'm in, you have to have really shallow roots. That's a project that lasts a week, mm. a couple days, sometimes a month, few months if it's a long one. So it's always constantly changing, and which keeps it really fresh and exciting. Mm. And which is what I love about living a freelance life as an artist. But on the other side of that coin, that there's a lot of courage you have to have because you don't have the guarantee of a paycheck. You don't have the security of, you know, that W-2 always. Hmm. You live in the 1099 life. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more challenging. That that element of courage is definitely a necessity. So I'm actually kind of curious uh out of like all the projects, all the experiences, all the jobs you've had, or this might even not be related to a particular job or experience, what has been the most challenging experience you've had with movement so far? I, that's a tough one. Most challenging experience with movement. Mm-hmm. There have been a couple of recording artists that I've worked with that have Definitely uh, pushed me right to the edge. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, sometimes you know, you're working on a, on a tight project and there's a deadline and you know, I have a job to do. I have to deliver this, this choreography, this dance to help sell the product, the product in this case being a, a recording singer. And... You know, it's always it's always difficult when you're working with somebody who has a very different viewpoint than that you do. And um, in the spirit of movement, their mind can change at times, as, as anybody can. Mm-hmm. But I was working with somebody in particular uh, who I won't use their name because I've signed way too many non-disclosure agreements in my life <laughs> to know what's good for me. But um, I, uh, yeah, I was on a project and this person had seeing the choreography that I brought forward and was very happy with it and got time to, to actually bring the piece. You know, the dancers learned everything. We had it all worked out. We got up onto the stage to do our final production rehearsals before we were going to open up. She just decided that she wanted it all different. And so I had two hours to take what we'd worked so hard on, come up with new material and teach the dancers this, this new piece. It was such a massive challenge because, you know, 
my first initial thoughts were, no way, screw <laughs> you. I could, how am I supposed to be able to make something up and teach it in two hours and teach you, you know, rehearse it, clean it, get it ready to go. There's no way. And then I finally arrived at a place where it was, I thought, okay, what if I just see this as a challenge? What mm-hmm. if I actually see if I can do this? And I know that the only feelings that I can pull from in a true way right now are, I am frustrated, I am nervous that I'm not going to be able to do it. So I just took those two emotions and I filtered it straight into the choreography. And I just made a piece that tweaked out a little bit. It was uh, kind of aggressive and fast. And it ended up being exactly what the doctor ordered. And at the end of the day, it was funny because it actually looks really great on stage. And I was able to learn a lot about myself and, and and what I'm capable of when I'm really, really pushed and really, really tested. And so it ended up being a really stressful situation that, that was, that's quite memorable for me in the end. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny how there are those moments where you have, like, that, that decision. Are you going to break or are you going to rise up and, and meet it head on? And how when you make that decision to initiate into that, that moment, it actually ends up kind of creating something really unique and magical that you wouldn't have been able to do in any other circumstance. Absolutely. And, and it's, now I try to make it a habit. When I can feel myself or hear myself saying those words, I can't, that that's a pretty good indicator that uh, I need to probably move in that direction. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a way to keep your self development going, <laughs> and to be able to really push yeah, I mean, you know, that capacity too. Yeah, you know, because I don't want to look back on the situation and go, really though, what if I would have just really given it a go? What what what's the worst that could have happened? So mm. I fail, fired. Okay, <laughs> I do. Failure's not so bad at the end of the day. It's just you know. It's it's one moment. It's a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, a good slap on the wrist, and then after a while, the pain goes away. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Getting fired, you learned a lot about yourself. Well, I've been fired from a project before. Oh, really? And it was, you know, incredibly, yeah, it was incredibly difficult to swallow that one. That was like, I'd never been fired from a project, and, uh, and I learned so much about myself, and, and, and I learned so much about my own relationship to my ego through that process. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if you haven't tried it, I recommend sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to learn something new about yourself, try getting fired. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I got fired from a job uh, three years ago, uh, almost, almost four, and... Man, like I was coming out of left field. I totally didn't expect it. But yeah, it was it was one of the greatest uh, opportunities that I ever was given in my entire life. For sure. No, yeah, well, that, that's good. That's just perspective. You, know, you could <laughs> see it that way, then it is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'd like to steer the conversation into the final question, which is, what has been the greatest gift movement has given you? Oh, these questions are brutal, Marie. I know. They're huge. They're so good, though. They're massive. 
The greatest gift that movement has given me. I will say this. Having a body is so amazing. Like through dance, my relationship to my own body is is on such a deep level that I can I can understand that I'm operating this machine and I can tell it when to do things and and it's it's like having the most incredible vessel to experience this world. So I would say that in the spirit of movement and the idea that this thing moves around, I still am continuously just in awe of using the body and, and, and making my way through my day and creating art with this thing. So I, I you know, without it, I don't, I don't quite know what things would be like and, and to have a healthy body. This is something I'm so grateful for. So, mm. so grateful for because I know not everybody has that, has that experience and, and as a, as a, as someone who participates in dance and, and makes it and enjoys it on so many levels, I just can't even begin to express the amount of gratitude I have for a healthy body. Mm. Yeah, I I also, whenever I stop and actually think about what it means to have a body and live in a body and do things with the body, and then especially being able to engage with it on the scientific level of having studied the body like from like a physical therapy and biomechanics and chemistry and biology it is it is the most amazing vessel it is the most incredibly intelligent organism and it's it's so strange to me kind of as somebody who's also very tapped into my own body and then also movement to see how many people in New York City for instance are walking around completely zoned out like eyes locked on their phones, have no sensorial relationship or experiential relationship of their bodies while they're moving and living in them. And to me, it's such a lost, a lost connection and a lost potency and lost potential that that's always there. It's always there for you to access, to even take that moment to just breathe and connect with your breath. And I love that you said that because I feel the same way. I think, I think these bodies we live in are incredible and we never really do them enough justice or honor them to the extent that we possibly could. And I love that that's, that's the, the gift that you've walked away with as a result of your movement experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess I don't quite know how this conversation would be possible without it. <laughs> it wouldn't. <laughs> it absolutely wouldn't. So as we wrap things up here, Tony, and again, thank you so much for sharing everything you've shared. What would be any final words of wisdom you would want people to walk away with when it comes to movement and one's relationship with movement? Well, gosh, I don't know that I'm the person to be giving words of wisdom, and I don't, I don't know how to speak to anyone else's experience. But, um, gosh, I, I guess I would just say that without movement, we're stagnant, and to be stagnant is to not move forward, and to not move forward is to not evolve. And 
I think evolution is always looking out for for our for our best interests and always has our backs. So to make movement uh, a priority in our lives, hmm. you know, you could do worse. You could make a worse choice than to make movement a real priority in life. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, and and so often people don't. And I mean. I don't know if you see this at all, but I, and maybe this is just where my attention is, but I, like I was saying earlier, I see so many people either not engaging with movement or in some cases completely disassociating from it and avoiding it. And, and to me, it's like the, one of the easiest, quickest, and most powerful resources we have to create shift in our lives. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, again, taking the time to chat with me today and to share so much of your experience and your thoughts on this concept with our listeners. If anybody here is looking to be more familiar with your work or get in touch with you for any reason, what are some ways that people can find you? Well, do you have the the ability to I don't know how it works with the podcast. Is there any text that goes with this oh, yeah. description well, box that I can give you? We will we'll have a description box. Yeah, because I think that's probably better than me trying to spell out a yeah, try to spell out a website or something. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. I usually do both the the vocal and then also the the written one, but if you feel more comfortable with that, we'll just stick with that. Okay, okay. Well, that's fine. I mean, I I, I can tell you that, you know, if if you want to check me out the website that has a lot of my most recent stuff on it is tonytestaofficial.com and uh, you can also search search my first and last name on Vimeo or YouTube and uh, you know you you might pull up some stuff there awesome great but I think the website's probably the most reliable alright so that's a wrap we're all finished thanks so much and, and all the best with you Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move.